Welcome to Sumner County Spotlight for this Sunday morning. I'm your host, Tony Richards. Sumner County Spotlight brought to you every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. by FM Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. Also, you can check them out at myfmbank.com. And our guest this morning is Daryl Woodcock. Daryl, good morning. Good morning. Glad how, to be here. How are you? Doing great so far. Daryl, as I understand it, is the alderman for the... Fifth district or the fifth ward? Yes. Pardon me. I, yes. I'm still learning this whole Sumner County politics thing. So, you know, that might be part of one of the things we have you walk us through. <laughs> yeah, and our, our boundaries are are kind of weird. You know, this is the edge of Ward Five, and you cross the street, and you're in Six, and just yeah. down the road is Four. Well, it's got to divide somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. So, do we talk to Six? Should we be nice to Six, or uh, should we just ignore them? They have half of Indian Lake, so yes, <laughs> got to be nice with them. Okay. Um, well, why don't we uh, talk a little bit about you and uh, your path? and what you do and what you've done for a living, maybe where you're from, and then we can kind of dive into all the things that go along with being in politics. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, probably the best place to start is the beginning. Uh, so I'm from Kentucky. Um, I never thought I would leave Kentucky, moved down here for five years in, in my head with the plan to move back to you know my hometown, open up a shop on the square. And, and where's home? Uh, Glasgow, Kentucky. Glasgow, yeah, okay. Yeah, so just about an hour and a half up the road. Uh, and honestly, I moved to Hendersonville just because it was close to I-65, and we got lost one day. We get a lot of that here. Yeah, yeah, and and discovered Indian Lake, and mm-hmm. you know we started planting roots down, and and that's been about 13 years now. Um, I, I do miss home. It was a lot of um, that made me who I am today, and mm-hmm. you know, I still have that inside of me. But Hendersonville is home. That's cool. And uh, so where did, did you go to school in Kentucky? Did you? Yeah, Western Kentucky University. Okay. Um, it was, you know, close enough to, to, close enough to home to go and, and not be too far away from family and support. Okay. And, uh, and what do you do for a living besides uh, being alderman? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people think alderman's a full-time job. It's oh, part-time. No. <laughs> so we got to pay the bills. And so I'm one of Sumner County's only certified financial planners. Oh, okay. So I've been... Uh, Doing that for 13 years, uh, straight out of college. I uh, worked for a national firm for about 10 years, and about three or four years ago, opened up my own shop, Apex oh. Financial Planning. Okay, well, that's wonderful. And so you've been here three years in, with that business, and yeah. where is the that facility at? Uh, so we were in Nashville, and then I moved up to the Square in Gallatin before purchasing a building in the Hunt Club, which is right on the line of Hendersonville and Gallatin. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you've been doing this a while. And you build up your client base and and helping a lot of folks. Uh, tell us about how you ended up as an alderman and why. <laughs> yeah, great, great story. So 2008, um, everyone was hyped about the election. A lot of people were complaining, and I kind of found myself doing the same thing. And I mm-hmm. cannot stand people that complain but don't act. Yep. And I'll be honest, in 2008, I had no idea if I was a Republican or Democrat. Could not tell you the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. So as embarrassing as it is, I went online and took so a survey. So what was it that you were frustrated about, though? Was it the economy? Was it uh, people it, telling you what to do? Was it too much paperwork? I mean, yeah, what? no, I mean, back then I was just starting the business, and you know, you hear about regulation and whatnot, yeah. and taxes were scaring me to death. Well, 08 was ugly for everybody. It, exactly. And 9, and yeah. 10, it started to get a little better. Oh, but, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't this overnight thing that everybody yeah. 
Right. You know, it, it's funny how it's a faint memory. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a minute, that's very real to me and to a lot of people. Yeah, and a lot of people thought you know the world was ending because of mm-hmm. everything that was happening with the financial crisis, uh, new politicians being in office. But you look back, and you know we survived, and honestly, things have not been that bad. Right. Yeah. You know? um, and, and you know, get to get back to it, I took a survey to find out if I was a Democrat or Republican, and, and honestly, it was more libertarian than anything, uh-huh. and uh, decided I was more in line with uh, Republican values. Uh, on most issues, and then uh, went to a, a local meeting, walked out the treasurer of the Republican Party, <laughs> See uh, what happens? Uh, the young, young Republican Party, <laughs> um, and two years later, I was active in politics, and uh, four years later, I was running for office. Wow. And uh, so how long have you been doing this? So I'm wrapping up my second term as alderman of Hendersonville. I was elected in 2012, reelected in 2016, and will be out of office in 445 days. So how does that work? Um, Because let's just say, not that you wouldn't have relationships here, being here 13 plus years or whatever, but, you know, when you're running for office, it's different. No one knows you. Yeah, yeah. What kind of an experience was that? Just for anybody, you know, there's there's people out there, kids, teenagers, whether they're really interested in it, or college students. Um, it's never what you think it is, usually, but how did that work for you? So I, I ran two completely different campaigns. So my first campaign uh, was a lot of door knocking. And I've always said the best part of campaigning is door knocking, and the worst part of campaigning is door knocking. Mm-hmm. You meet more people that way, but you also, you know, a lot of people don't like you knocking on their door. They think you're a yep. salesman, so you have to battle that back and forth. Uh, but I worked my tail off in 2012 door knocking and, and won uh, by a large margin. Then um, in 2016, it was the exact opposite. I used Facebook to get I elected. Yeah. So I, I honestly didn't knock on more than 20 doors in my reelection campaign because I was spending more time electronically knocking what on doors. What did you think was more effective? Definitely Facebook. Yeah. Uh, in, in today's time, people don't like answering their door. They have the camera on their doorbell to see who it is. And if mm-hmm. you even look like a salesman, they're not coming to the door. Mm-hmm. So if you actually want to reach people, you have to do it through their phone, in mm-hmm. my opinion, uh, as far as campaigning goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, no doubt about it. And is that something you just kind of did on your own? Did you have help? How does that uh, work? I did it all myself. Uh, I had a marketing guy do my mailers and whatnot, but pretty much all the electronic uh, social media campaign was myself. And there's, speaking of regulation, there's all kinds of regulations for that as well. How did you navigate through that? I mean, is there a, a good manual for this somewhere? Yeah, well, the state has a lot of help. So if I had a question that I felt was on the line, I, w- I would call ahead of time and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Is this acceptable? And if it even came close to not being a yeah, it's not it. worth messing with. Yeah, and the main thing is if you're not willing to put your name on it, don't do it. You right. know, and we've had a, a series of that happening in local politics where mailers are going out basically with no name on right. them or right. convoluted some, names, yep. and they're you know horrible. And I would never do anything like well, that. Well, yeah, but there's probably also lots of companies out there that are you know, like you said, some politicians aren't familiar with it. They want to get their name out. They don't want to do all that work. They hire people that mm-hmm. are smart at that but sometimes they can take advantage of you and it ends up your reputation and your exactly. name even though there was no ill intent at all exactly it happens yeah and i, I my name means more to me than than uh delegating mm-hmm. in other words and so that's why i have a hand in everything so you have to be a little bit careful what you wish for so if you end up doing social and you do some posts and you do some things because you're you're gonna get feedback <laughs> yeah yeah so 
what what sparked me onto the Facebook thing was before, well before my reelection, I started doing Facebook recaps, mm-hmm. and I was I, I don't block people unless they you know basically cuss people out or they're right. extremely rude. Uh, so no matter what your opinion is, you're allowed to come on my page and and comment, good mm-hmm. or bad. And I noticed you know everyone was liking, but the for, name calling and all of that uh, stuff is you know, there are just people that troll and do that exactly stuff. and honestly as long as they're talking to me they can do it because that's what i signed up for as a politician now the second are they, they shocked when you answer oh yeah <laughs> the, wait a minute he actually saw this yeah the best is when you give them your phone number or your address like you know if you feel that strongly so let, let, let's talk about yeah. it you know and then yeah. they, they never call or they don't yeah. show up yeah. but what i what i found was people were craving that information you know because most politicians at that time were not on facebook or if they did it was a fake account where they just had pictures and that was mm-hmm. pretty much it and so once i saw people just wanting that information i was like, i'm gonna do this every time so after every meeting i was posting a recap i was posting agendas and people were loving it and that's what led me to hey i can get more done at my computer yeah. than walking for four hours well, plus on they know what you're doing exactly and uh you can kind of keep them informed so it's it is a great it's great for communication yeah. and things like that um so what were the landmines you didn't expect when you got into politics honestly you know we think about politics everyone knows how uh the federal system is and how cutthroat it is and i didn't expect that at the local level and mm-hmm. i joke that it's it's worse at the local level because in local politics you'll have your um you, you'll get your backstab and then that person will say hi to you at kroger the next day you know you don't have that in fe- it's federal a politics. pretty thick skin then you, you had have to, to yeah. get right how long did it take you to build up the thick skin to deal with that kind uh, of thing? it was about two years before i could really navigate the system you know, and learning that if someone is doing something inappropriate, the second you call them out, you just lost one vote. And mm-hmm. if you have 13 votes and you need seven, you can't do that many times. And so I learned that local politics, you almost have to ignore a lot of things to get other things accomplished. And that goes against everything in my being. You know, if something's inappropriate, I want to say something, and, and that's why I'm not, I'm not running yeah, again. Yeah, you know, there's I, a game that is played. Yeah, exactly. I think people may underestimate just how humongous it is especially on the federal Mm -hmm. level it's so big you cannot well a lot of folks can't help but get sucked into it i mean i've had buddies that have been congressmen that got in trouble uh great-hearted people no ill intent but man if you walk on a few landlines or the wrong person it's done oh yeah you're done exactly you literally are on the outs and it can change like that yeah you know, one week you're you're in and you're getting things accomplished, and then the second you cross the wrong person, you're done. It's crazy, isn't it? It is. So, it's well, sad. It's uh, yeah, it is. Uh, we're talking with Daryl Woodcock, who is the alderman for the fifth ward here in Hendersonville, and uh, we're up against our first break, Daryl, and we're going to come back and talk a little bit more, uh, just about politics in general. Maybe uh, you know everything that's going on. There's lots of projects. There's lots of things to work on. How people can give feedback to any of their aldermen and, and things like that. So great. We'll be back with more with Sumner County Spotlight, brought to you by F and M Bank. Make sure you visit myfmbank.com. And we'll be right back with more of the program in just a moment. Hey, do you need a guide through the ever-changing world of mortgage loans? Let FNM Bank help. Our mortgage loan specialists are trained to guide you through this process. Visit us at myfmbank.com today. FNM will help you start your home buying journey on the right track. Equal housing lender. 
We're back here with Sumner County Spotlight, brought to you by FM Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard or myfmbank.com. And our guest this morning is Daryl Woodcock, who is the alderman for the Fifth Ward in Hendersonville. And uh, Daryl, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, we'll get into politics again in a minute, but let's talk about your background. And, uh, you know, we touched on where you're from and Glasgow and everything like that. But tell us about, uh, you have a very interesting path. Y- yes, and... It's one of those things where at the when it was happening, you know, I was embarrassed, and now it's a great story that I like to tell people. So I grew up in what I consider severe poverty. Uh, I know people can't see this room, but the house I grew up in was basically a four-room shack. Mm-hmm. You know, as in when it rained, we knew because the water would come through the ceiling and hit you in the face. You know, mm-hmm. we knew if it was um, sunny outside because of the holes in the walls and floors and whatnot. Uh, so. Which means critters and oh, yeah. bugs. And, yeah, yeah, I, yeah you, I'm, uh, I'm not far from you there, pal. Yeah, you, know, you learn to keep your blankets away from the, the floor and the windows because that just invites things to crawl right up into your bed. And so in, I, I was raised by my grandmother. Uh, she was uh, kind of the mother figure, father figure, everything in my life. And then my, mm-hmm. I always joked that my aunt was more of my father. She was a disciplinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in the, in the four-room house, we had uh, myself, my grandmother, grandfather, aunt uncle and my dad and myself in, my goodness in a four-room house that had no running water or indoor plumbing until the 70s mm-hmm. and so luckily i was able to kind of pick and choose from different family members and pick their good traits and not inherit their bad traits uh and, and, and look in a place that small you see a lot of everything yeah exactly and so, luckily, uh, I was able to, you know, overcome that and slowly but surely build my way up. And you know, I was the second person in my family to graduate high school, uh, the first to graduate college. Mm-hmm. And then when I look back, you know, when you're poor, y- you automatically are around certain uh, people and certain environments. And I, and I look back at some of my closest friends from that time period, and you got one who's in jail uh, on death row for murdering his girlfriend because they were high on meth. I've got a friend who's in jail for 20 years for dealing drugs. And while I never participated in any of those, these mm-hmm. are the people I hung around with because that was my environment, right, you right. know, your demographics. Well, and it's, it's funny. When you don't have anything, it's not like you know it right away. As you grow up, you think, oh, man, um, I'm wearing yeah. my sister's shoes, <laughs> gym shoes, or, you know, or uh, whatever. I mean, you get – you just deal – you know – I I get the whole jeans that were cut into shorts. I oh mean, yeah, I never had new jeans. I don't even know yeah. what that was. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we're 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 from similar thing. Um, yeah, and it goes back to you know, you know I said at the time I was embarrassed, but now I wouldn't have changed anything. You know I believe it one hundred percent made me who I am today. And you know there was times where I would get off the bus a mile from my house and walk so that you know my friends would right. know the house I lived in. Mm-hmm. And, and I was the kid who was the last Didn't one to bring anybody over. Oh yeah, never, never once did I ever. But have you loved in my going house. to their house. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's one thing. My, my father sent me to the city school, so we lived out in the county, and and there's only two schools. You had the city school and the county school, completely different, independent uh, school. And he systems. did that on purpose. Yes, and uh, and it exposed me to the richer kids, which was great on one hand because I could take. Well, this is what the other side. Does. Mm-hmm. That's how they right. live, but also I'm the poor kid surrounded by rich people. You know that a you know I, I swear to God one kid was complaining about his car insurance being too expensive, <laughs> yeah. and it was a Porsche, and I'm like that that's your that's problem. A, that's a really you know? rough uh, yeah yeah. And and so what I 
what helped me was I wanted to be like them as far as be successful and have things. Well, it'd be nice to have a car. Right. And know. so while one person had one paper out, I had three in mm-hmm. middle school, you know, and so I was working full time by the time I was what, 12, 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and doing that allowed me to grow up much faster than the other kids. So I've always associated myself with older people because I feel like while I'm 37, I really feel like I'm 47. Yeah. You know? Well, and you know, it's, they're great to talk to because they've been through everything. They yeah. just literally don't get rattled yeah, <laughs> because yeah. everything that could have happened to them probably has, or they're aware of it. Exactly. And that, that was probably really smart on your part. Now, when you, when you did these jobs, did you contribute, you know, back in the depression era, my folks, probably yours, uh, contributed to the family's finances. Did you do that? Or were, did your, uh, your family kind of say, look, this is your path, your dough, you do what you need to do. So we, I was treated completely independent. So I didn't have many people looking over me saying to go do your thing, you know, but my grandmother treated me like a God, you know, I could do no wrong in her. eyes. But it was the aunt who made you come home on time. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and so while my grandmother would never accept anything from me, I was always putting, you know, like I'd slip money in her yep. purse yep. or, you know, buy something. I'm assuming then that meant that you know, it's it's just interesting these parallels that you did wake up sometimes. There's no electricity, got turned off. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, things like that happen, and people try to keep that from you. But you know, those are real struggles. Yeah, it's obvious. You know, you could sense when something was wrong just by the tone yeah. of the voice. Yep. How are yeah. we going to get through this one? Yeah. How are we going to get through that one? Yeah. There is, like you said, uh, when we first came on, there's some upsides, which I'm assuming are. You've been without before. You could be 100% fine without again. Exactly. Not a lot of people can walk around with that confidence, but if you've never had it, you know how to improvise and you know how to get along. And you know what's important in life because mm-hmm. you've been on both sides of it. And Bruce Pearl put it the best, and I'm not saying I'm rich, but this was his quote. Mm-hmm. I've been poor and I've been rich, and one's better than the other. Yeah. But once you've experienced both, you really don't know that. That's right. You know. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so how did that affect you? Okay, so you had these friends. You were hanging around. You didn't know any better. They ended up, a couple of them being bad eggs and uh, or, or worse. Um, but uh, as you you know went into high school and things like that, and then was college even an option for you, or did you always, were you sort of driven that way too, not just by work and wanting things in life, material things, but but to better yourself. So I always wanted to work. I, I didn't put a lot of stock into academics. Uh, in fact, I would skip school to work, sometimes out of necessity and sometimes because they needed me and I, I chose to do it. Mm-hmm. And true story, I um, I got in trouble for something minor at school and I was sent to the principal's office. And I will remember it for the rest of my life. The principal and the vice principal said, well, what are you going to do when you go to, uh, you know, you, you don't have a teacher helping you do this. What are you going to do after high school? Well, I'll probably go to college. And they both laughed right in my face. Really? And, and so stuff like You're that. You're serious? Oh, yeah, that's An educator did yeah, that to a yeah. student. Remember like it was yesterday. And some people see that and they go, well, p- poor pitiful me. Look, at they're being mean to me. Mm-hmm. I take stuff like that and go, wait, I'll show you. You know, it, it's my motivation. And so while that, that sucked that they did that, it helped me further yeah. – you know, my education. And honestly, I didn't know if I could make it in college because I never studied. 
I didn't know how to study. Mm-hmm. No one taught me. Right, exactly. And so I just got by in high school, and I said, I'll give college one semester. If I don't make it, I'll go to the Air Force. That, that was 100% my plan. And luckily, I went to a good high school. So honestly, college was easier than high school just based on the, the um, um, criteria less, that less we had distractions. to Exactly. And so I didn't start studying until my junior year of college. And from that point on, I, I was dean's list, president's list. Was that because you found out as a junior what you wanted to do? Or was it the end is coming, I better get serious? It was a little bit of both. It was... I had one teacher who who more or less set me aside and said, you, you've got some potential, and, and it was accounting, business, financial-related courses, mm-hmm. and I want you to so redo So numbers this. were a good thing for you. Oh, always. Yeah, yeah. I was always great at math. And, it, and my career path was not always uh, clear because as I was growing up poor, poor people don't think about being money managers, wealth managers. Right. They think about working at a factory. You I know. wonder who could be the best at it, though. Exactly. Somebody exactly. didn't have it. So while I was in college, I was taking all these financial courses because I wanted to know how to manage money for my personal self because I didn't want to be poor like everybody else in my family. Right. And so once I got into those 400-level classes where it was really serious, I wanted to know how to do it. And this one teacher pulled me aside and said, you have potential. I want you to work on these that you miss and redo them and come back. And I aced it. And I was like, man, if I actually work on this stuff, I can – know it all and so from that point on i think 3.8 to 4.0 the rest of the my school career well that's cool we're up on our second break so we're going to take another break but then we'll talk about you know the choices after you finished college and what the there must be an entrepreneurial spirit in you somewhere or you wouldn't have done your own thing Exactly. So we'll come back and talk a little bit more with Daryl Woodcock, who is the alderman for the 5th District. I keep wanting to say district. It's kind of a a northern thing. I'm a Yankee, can you tell? Uh, 5th Ward here in Hendersonville. And we're going to be back with more of the program, brought to you by F&M Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard and myfmbank.com right after these messages. Hey, do you need a guide through the ever-changing world of mortgage loans? Let F&M Bank help. Our mortgage loan specialists are trained to guide you through this process. Visit us at myfmbank.com today. F&M will help you start your home buying journey on the right track. Equal housing lender. We are back with Daryl Woodcock here on Sumner County Spotlight, brought to you every Sunday morning by FM Bank at myfmbank.com. And Daryl, uh, this has been a really interesting story. So you come out of college, you really bear down junior year, and I... That part's relatively common. People are, oh, the end is coming. I better get serious. Um, and then, you know, I'm assuming you found a job before you I'm, – I'm interested in getting to the part where you decided to do this on your own and be an entrepreneur. Yeah, so um, every kid in a small town who grows up poor, they, they don't think about being a wealth manager, money manager. You know, the, I was anticipating being a manager of an auto parts store, something of that nature. And I was working at Target in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, I interned there, received like a department manager job while I was in college. And they offered me a store manager job in Nashville. And as corny as it sounds, we were cleaning the store on a Sunday night. And the song, What I Love About Sundays, came on the radio mm-hmm. over, over the speakers. And I just stopped, and it hit me. I was, again, I'm the first person to graduate college. And I just accepted a job where I would have to work nights and weekends, you know, retail. Mm-hmm. You have to. Mm-hmm. And I, I stopped, and I said, what do I really want to do? And it goes back to what I said earlier. I always loved money. I was always good with numbers. And I realized I had held these financial courses. 
So I kind of restarted my recruitment and went through uh, several interview process with all kinds of different financial firms, banks. Uh, I knew I didn't know if I want to be an advisor or just you know in banking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and long story short, this one company in Nashville, Tennessee, sat me down and, and they were the first one to not tell me about how the, how much money I was going to make. They said, "Here's what we do to help people," and it just hit with me. And I stayed with them for 10 years before going independent. So in a matter of about six months, I went from managing an auto parts store to working in retail uh, to becoming an entrepreneur and financial advisor. And everybody thinks that's uh, easy. Yeah. Uh, I know a very few people, um, especially people of means, who haven't just almost lost or lost everything and worked until they can't work anymore to make it successful. Um, some people maybe get lucky and just it goes great out of the gate, but that's not reality mostly. Yeah, financial advising in, in any small business startup is really hard to, to, again, start and then remain in the business. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, the first probably three years were really hard because I'm not a salesman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not good at it. I don't prefer to do it. And and so I took well, the Well, part of getting out on your own is realizing your strengths. And partnering with people who have other strengths that complement yours. Exactly. And I knew I was great at building the relationship and maintaining and, and building trust. And so I, every time I got a client, I don't care if it was a $50 client or a $5 million client, I, I treated them like they were the all-star. Mm-hmm. And that led to referrals and, and just it built slower than other people. But I feel like I built my business in a way that could sustain time and economic uh, crisis and mm-hmm. downturns. And, you know, it's been 13 years, and I look back, and I can't believe how fast it's, it's grown and, and how well it's grown. And how many clients do you have now? So I, my practice is a little bit different. So I, I'm not an asset gatherer as far as I'm constantly getting new clients. I have a system where I manage 125 households, mm-hmm. and I pretty much stay around that, that time right. frame because I'm paid to manage the client's uh, finances, financials versus uh, trying to get a new client to get a new commission. Mm-hmm. All my bookings are fee based, not commission based. So I maintain a, a certain size book, and that's where I stay. Mm-hmm. And you clearly want to know all your clients too. If you get too many, you just you're you're not helping them. Well, I mean, there's only so many hours in the day, and so when you have an advisor that's spending more time getting new clients, they're not taking care of their current clients. And the current clients are all going through different things in their life. You know, uh, if somebody's got a project or starting a new company, that's going to take a little extra time out of the gate where other folks may, look, I just want to maintain or, or whatever. But there are other people out there that don't stop. They want to keep, that's just part of who they are, and that's fine. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Again, it goes back to, you know, we, we label them asset gatherers because they're just constantly trying to get that new client, which means they're probably not taking care of existing clients and losing them, which is why they're having to churn through new clients. And, and I just didn't like that path and, and chose to go more towards maintaining current clients who will then refer me to new clients. What is your most gratifying uh, part about doing what you do? So when I say this, you'll laugh. the The best part is when I make people cry, and and what I mean by that is how do you do that? So when (laughs) I'm assuming a check must be involved, I don't know. Yes, (laughs) usually the first check to a college when they can pay for their kids to go to college, Mm -hmm. uh, when they get that first retirement check, and they don't have to go work at Walmart. Which nothing wrong with that, but you know they can choose what they do and when to do it. Uh, When when those moments, it's it's pretty hard uh, to not have a um, to not cry a little bit. Yeah. And uh, do some of them, are they surprised that 
uh, you know, some things perform well, some some don't. That's just part of the deal. But um, we've had a pretty great market the last yeah, several years. years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, our, there are places out there that try to push products and things like that. How do you navigate through that stuff? Because you have to have relationships with some of these places that manage these funds. But you also don't want to, like, look, I'm not your sales rep here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So my old firm, they, they were independent, but they also had their own investments. And, and they never pushed anything on me. But I could tell they had certain hurdles if you mm-hmm. wanted to do things outside their box. And that's why I went independent about, again, three or four years ago and, and opened Apex Financial Planning. So with my system, I, I have no one calling me saying, you need to push this or sell this to, to anyone. And I do get calls from wholesalers, but I, I, I don't accept calls from, from wholesalers. Pretty much 99% of all investments are public information. You can get it with our program. So I can learn anything I want about any investment without having to meet with a wholesaler. Right. And so being independent allows me to be flexible. So if I have a client who's conservative, they're conservative. If they're aggressive, they're aggressive and anything in between. And since I don't charge commissions, I, I don't have a conflict of interest. If you want to be mm-hmm. conservative, I'm going to make the same as if you're aggressive. That mm-hmm. way there's no pushing one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And so I have clients that will call me and say, hey, you know, the market's getting a little, little hairy. You know, should I be worried? And I just say, no, you, we know you can't deal with the market up and down. So I've protected your account in a way that you're not impacted. Mm-hmm. So go to bed, sleep. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about uh, your political uh, job. Um, what what does an alderman exactly do? They represent a, a ward, obviously, but yeah. So it, honestly, it, it depends on what committee you line up with. So I mean, every, do you have interests? Is there things you get to pick or not really? Toward? So that that I thought that I remember when I got elected, <laughs> I, I told a senior alderman like, "Well, I assume I'll be placed on the finance committee because I'm, you know." <laughs> financial advisor Uh and he laughed and i didn't understand why he laughed and so there's a pecking order and and oh really i thought it was just you go where you're needed no 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 not at all that makes too much sense for government okay well what was so sorry about there's two there's two stories so one is seniority so if you have seniority you can kind of pick what committee you want to go to but that's not reality reality is the group of aldermen that have power will put two of their friends on each committee because two votes determine who is the chairman and vice chairman of the committee. And then the chairman of those committees make up the capital projects committee and the committee on committees that will choose the next round of, of committees. And so it's not based on need. It's not based on experience. It's based on who's in power at that time. I've heard that uh, on the federal level as well. There's a handful of people that are really pulling the strings. Oh, yeah. And everybody else has to either toe the line or you're out of Yeah. And if you watch any of our Bowman meetings, the city attorney almost on a, a, a weekly basis will say seven votes can do anything. And what he's saying by that is, you know, if you can get seven people to agree, then it obviously is a good thing and it will happen. Mm-hmm. But honestly, that's not reality. It really takes two votes to get things moving because, again, two votes will set up who's chairman of each committee. And then if you can get a group of three or four... Well, how to, hard is it to just get a couple? 
Is it pretty hard? No, because everyone aligns. You know, everyone on okay. Bowman, they know that, like these three people over here, we kind of have the same views. So I know they'll probably vote the same way I do. And it's illegal for aldermen to talk to each other about votes. Right. But we know how each other is going to vote because we've been around each other for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, like alderman A is going to vote against a property tax increase, but alderman B will vote for it. Mm-hmm. You know, we just know stuff like that. And so if you get a group of, say, five that are pro-development, Mm-hmm. then you can pretty much bet that every development that comes through is going to get passed because they can easily get two or three lucky votes that go with them. No matter how much heat they take. Exactly. Because So this is the, here's what's important about Hendersonville. Growth is going to happen mainly in Ward 5 and a little bit of Ward 6. So Ward 5 has two votes mm-hmm. out of 13. The other wards are not impacted by what my voters say. So my voters can call them and say, we don't want this development all day long, but it doesn't impact them because they're not going to be able to vote in their election. I got gotcha. you. And, and I'm not saying they don't care. I'm just saying it's not as big of an impact mm-hmm. when seven people can vote for a development that has nothing to do with their ward. Understand. So what was it that made you decide this was it? And did you, was it an itch you wanted to scratch and you, you decide, you know, this is I'm done or is it? So I'm not made to be a politician. Politicians have to overlook things. They they have to be able to bend in certain ways, and and again, it's illegal to talk to other aldermen about votes. But they have to be able to. Well, I'll let you do that if you'll let me do this kind of thing. Compromise. Yes, and and so honestly, I was not going to run for reelection. I was done after one term. I mm-hmm. I'd, I'd accomplished a lot in one term. I was happy with it. Uh, being a politician does not mean a lot to me. I love helping people, but walking around saying I'm an alderman is not how on my list mm-hmm. um and how do your clients feel about this honestly uh you know a lot of people say you know don't be a, don't be a politician you'll lose business it, it's dramatically helped my business because i'm pretty open so people get a mm-hmm. sense of how i am and when you're that honest in politics they think you're, you'll be that honest with them as a customer and so it, it's helped my business from that standpoint i've never worried about that at all um but going back to knowing when I'd be done. So I wasn't going to run for reelection and, and I, I was kind of a little bit bullied that when people thought I was going to run, they, they were trying to push me from not running, mm-hmm. even though they didn't know I was not, you know? And so I ended up running just out of, I'm not going to let someone push me around. You know, you're going to have to earn it if you're going to try to take it from me. And mm-hmm. I won and, and I, I announced almost immediately that this is 100% my last term. I will not run for a third term. Okay, so as you're in your career, you said one of the nice things is uh, when you can make people cry, and that's a good thing. What about in the political career? Yeah, there's been a few hard votes, uh, and, and probably the only one that hurt me personally, as far as emotionally, was the Beatty Farm incident. And, and that's where we had this um, uh, large area of town that had been for sale for a long time, but then a developer actually wanted to do something with it, and then the residents... Uh, banded together in amazing uh, fashion mm-hmm. and said the city should buy it. The city did not have the money to buy it. The finance, di- finance director was very clear about that. And so I was put in a situation where I would have loved to have bought that. But at the end of the day, I'm a financial planner. Right. And, and when the finance director says, if we do this, we will not have any money for reserves. We will tap out our credit card. It was hard for me to support that. And I was ate alive by residents because I did not support that and viciously uh, Mm -hmm. on social media and and everything. And it was one of those deals where 
it wasn't like I was saying, you know, put up an apartment complex on this land. I was just saying we don't have the money to do it, and, and that's the finance director saying that. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm believing him, and, and that's how I'm going to vote. And it turned out to be true. Uh, a few months later, we had an issue with our fire hall, and we did not have the money to finish it. And so then we had to take uh, a lot of money, $1.4 million from our paving fund to pay for a fire hall because we couldn't borrow any more money. Mm-hmm. We had no money anywhere else to take. And some politicians are looking around like, I don't understand why we don't have money. I'm like, <laughs> the finance director just told us we didn't have it if we do this. And so not everyone has financial planning in their blood. Ex- exactly. And so again, I ended up, you know, being right and I hated it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, again, it, it hurt me because I've always felt like I've done everything I could for the citizens in the city. And the one time I couldn't do it because we didn't have the money in the bank, I got attacked. And it was pretty hard to, to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now some paving's being done. So I don't know if things are better or we're just borrowing more. Or well, what. so it, it's getting better. If we don't rob the piggy bank again, uh, this fiscal year that we just approved a few months ago should be great. Um, but again, Last year, we robbed the, the paving budget. The year before that, we spent all the money on one road. Mm-hmm. And, and so we don't have a great history of taking care of maintenance uh, in our city. It's um, not sexy. Doing the things that keep the uh, you know sewers from gurgling up over the streets is just not fun stuff. And it's if, not. if they can't see the result, sometimes you feel like nothing's getting fixed when really it is exactly there's a lot of things behind the scenes that people don't see and there's a lot of problems that look minor but if you don't know the science behind the engineering behind and why it cost a million dollars to fix this little project let's not have a bridge just you know collapse and and that's when all of a sudden oh everybody cares well wait a minute we knew this was ugly a long time ago exactly so yeah well we appreciate your time today i know uh we've uh got a chance to know you and we're going to be talking to some other folks in and around sumner county as well and uh we'd like to thank daryl woodcock for spending some time with us this sunday morning on sunday morning spotlight yeah i'm glad you asked me yeah thank you daryl appreciate it Hey, do you need a guide through the ever-changing world of mortgage loans? Let FNM Bank help. Our mortgage loan specialists are trained to guide you through this process. Visit us at myfmbank.com today. FNM will help you start your home buying journey on the right track. Equal housing lender. And we are back with Sumner County Spotlight, brought to you by FNM Bank in Hendersonville on Indian Lake Boulevard, also at myfmbank.com. And we're talking with the alderman for Ward 5, Daryl Woodcock. And Daryl, um, what are some of the plans that the city has that we haven't discussed yet, or our big projects or things that are going on? Uh, the biggest thing that's going on right now is the change to our trash service. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've had uh, some help getting the word out on that. Yeah, it, you know, we went from a twice a week pickup to a once a week pickup, and the transition was not great. I don't think anyone will, will object to that. Um, the problem is, the reason we did that was to try to incorporate a recycling program to the city, and the way it fell with votes, we had to vote on the trash service first, and now we're having to vote on the recycling service. So that's why we had to switch from twice a week to once a week with no recycling. Mm-hmm. It was not clean. It was not a great transition. Uh, the good news is we worked out most of the bugs with the once a week trash pickup. There's still a few issues. But it, but most communities just have a once a week, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I mean there's a rare amount of people that need two pickups a week and, and Usually honestly, businesses <laughs> yeah yeah which is a whole nother subject yeah. uh but you know for example i have a family of five including small kids and, and we have never needed 
more than once a week pickup. And mm-hmm. even to now with once a week pickup, we, we don't ever fill the trash can. Um, but again, I voted to, to go from twice a week to once a week for one reason, one reason only, and that was to add a recycling pickup. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I'm doing that because of the environment necessarily, as much as I can see the train coming and we need to do something. And that train is our landfills are filling up. And the one we use is has a capacity of three to five years. So in five years at the most, we're not going to have a landfill to put our trash, which means we have to find another location, which is not going to be closer, which means it's going to be more expensive. And that's a cost that the city can either choose to offset by recycling or raise How many taxes. years does the recycling bias? So it, that's that's a great. I mean, everything's got a, fi- a finite, you know, yeah. life. So that's a great question. So the way I look at it is not so much the lifetime because that that's debatable and can be argued either way. Most of the trash that goes into a trash bin by residents can be recycled anywhere from 50 to 70 percent depending on the household so if we can take our total trash and reduce it by let's say let's split the difference and say 60 percent not only does that buy us more time but it reduces the cost of taking the trash to whatever landfill that may be and and so while the new recycling program if voted in uh, costs us one million dollars but we're saving five hundred thousand dollars eventually on the landfill cost. I mean, we're still spending more money, but it's the better plan long term. Mm-hmm. What about uh, don't a lot of the vendors that that do the trash removal do their own recycling and separate the garbage? Uh, no, or is that um, pretty so, new technology? Yeah, so no, it, it, they don't. From my understanding, based on what my research, so I had a great conversation with one of the recycling companies in town, and we kind of went through how it actually works because a lot of people are have a fear that we're going to pay this extra money for recycling, and that recyclables are going to end up in the trash anyway because of you know, or the vendor gets the benefit and. And we're just helping them make money by sorting it for them. Exactly. (laughs) Which is what I think. Yeah. Is that true or am I wrong? I mean, not that I don't want a business to make money. Yeah. But I'm like, well, why am I helping you? So the margins are really, really small in in recycling. So it's not as if they're charging us a lot of money and then doubling it. Right. There's tons of equipment and capital expense. Yeah, exactly. And regulation. And, And so what we have found is... Years ago, a recycling company could make money by just accepting recyclables. Now they can't. So it has to be subsidized either by private pay or with the government. And so you have some cities that have it mandatory where you're forced to recycle. Mm -hmm. You have some cities that allow you to opt in to a recycling program, and then some cities that uh, just provide you the can and and more or less hope you use it. And statistically, most people will. Our recycling uh, program the pilot program has about 70% participation, which is phenomenal. Um, and what we have to keep in mind is if you do not separate and let's say you put some trash in with your recyclables, that entire bin has to be dumped mm-hmm. in with the trash. Yeah, and, and so, yeah. and it's, it's not the other way around. You can't put recyclables in the trash and then someone sorted. They, they won't do that. Mm-hmm. What about the million you said, for example, that uh, would cost, that it would cost to, to get it started? What is that for? Is it for the bins or what is the, what's the actual? Yeah, it, it's for the bin and the service, the manpower. Okay. Go yeah. It, sure. Yeah. And it, it, again, you know, they have to take it to a facility too, that, you know, not everything is in house. So they separate it at their, place and then ship everything out to the various vendors 
Well, let's talk a, a little bit about roads, um, since I know there's been some work done. And, you know, this is a beautiful area right here off Exit 7. And I always wondered why it looked like the final coat of this street was never put on. And if that was somebody's final coat, I don't know who did that. But I, I could never understand it because it was the prettiest part of the town and it had the worst street. Amen. Um, yeah. Glad to see that it's smooth now, and there's not not done yet. But and hey, everybody has their opinion about their street. Everybody wants it great. You know, we get mm. that. But if if you're going to have a centerpiece, then you want that to be complete, not incomplete. Exactly. And, and there's there's two parts to it. So one part is you know this is the newer part of town, even though it's been developed for almost a decade, over a decade now. And with when you know there's going to be more development, you don't want to spend a lot of money on fixing the road permanently. Mm-hmm. And you want to try to offset that with, well, Company A will pay for this part and Company B will do this. And what we found here is well, you can't wait forever. Ex- exactly. You know, it's like, well, you know, if it's not built all the way out, obviously. But look, there's 500,000 people walking by this room every year. Um, they're getting here somehow. Yeah, I agree. And so, that, again, two parts. So one part is is planning, what I just mentioned. The second part is you have to be able to manage your resources to take care of roads like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, historically, we have not done a, a great job of doing that. I see. And, and so over the last probably be four years. Be glad you're not up north. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you can lay a road down, and it's pretty good. And But it is funny how, you know, all of a sudden a vendor's cutting into it three weeks after you do it. I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> after all this? Yeah. they got to cut in a sewer line no oh, yeah. way you know yeah and we've experienced that in other parts it happens of town. it happens yeah and the good thing is we I, we've got this new pavement management program so we went through the entire city and to find out which roads are the worst and we rank them so it's no more squeaky wheel gets the grease right. type situation and that's allowing us to to manage the pavement um program better Again, we have to fund it, which we've not done a great job of the last two years. But, again, we've, we've got more money into it now than we ever have. And to give you an example, when I was elected in 2012, we spent $90,000 on supplemental paving. We should be spending $3 million, right? Yeah. And this budget, I believe we passed $2 million. So we're still not where we need to be, but way better than – Exactly. Ninety grand is not going to fix one block. I no, and, and so what we were doing is relying on the relying on the state to give us what we call state street aid mm-hmm. money, and we were just patching holes. You know, and, and, and that's it's a too failure. slow to respond. I mean, they're yeah, they're we were just it's, we were fixing holes in, in in bad areas and not paving, not maintaining at all. And so the hole we were digging was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And that falls on you know the elected officials that have been in office for thirty years and never addressed it luckily we, we've got you know a group that over the last six seven years have really taken charge of hey this is a problem and we're going to fix it yeah well it's uh it's it's nice to see and again it's a visible affirmation to the folks paying the taxes that okay i feel like i'm getting something out of this now amen you know and you know in a lot of ways that's what you want so you know hendersonville is unique versus gallatin or some other places where you know what what is the centerpiece what is the plan um you know there's a lot of development here but you know it's interesting in exit seven they can drive right by and not know what's off this exit it's crazy you see the park and you see the you know uh, the rink and everything but it's like hey uh how do we get that message out don't just drive on by yeah that, that's that's a tough question we we've been in discuss uh, discussions about adding 
more or less electronic billboards that would advertise, hey, we have the streets of Minion Lake over here. We have Glenbrook over but here. But you don't want to litter it with billboards either. Exactly. So More of a gigantic sign would be awesome instead of 30 other ones. Because, you know, mm-hmm. all you have to do is drive through Louisville to see that. I'm like, what is the deal oh, yeah. here? Oh, Both yeah. sides of the road. It's crazy. Yeah. And you, when you have that many, the effectiveness goes away. My personal oh, I agree. Opinion. Yeah. yeah. I, it's just I wallpaper after a while. It's yeah. like, what? Yeah, okay. And you just have to balance trying to solve a current problem and while not creating a new problem. Mm-hmm. What's the feeling? Has anybody asked the community what they think of that kind of thing? Or does it like, you know, we like, we like being off the radar a little bit. I don't know because everything's growing so fast. So that is a great topic. So the, honestly, I feel that Hendersonville is at a crossroads. You, you have the people who have been here for a long time that love that small town feeling. And to give you an example, when I was well, a, the biggest, the biggest eye opener for him is look, it's only 50 years old. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's shocking to some people. What do you mean it's 50? And the, Most towns are 150 or yeah. 250 or whatever, 200. But, but the population was, what, 20,000 15 years ago or 20 years ago. You know, it's so exploded in the mm-hmm. last decade. And so you have this convulsion of two groups coming together where you have the new people who are moving into the new subdivisions who want – a PF change downtown, so they want 100,000 people here. They, mm-hmm. they, they want all these new developments that will support these other businesses. And then you have the people, honestly, like me, who moved here 10, 15 years ago because it had that small-town feel, and it right. didn't take 30 minutes to get across town, mm-hmm. and now it does. And now we're putting development everywhere we can, residential or commercial. And so you, you have this mixture of it's not what it used to be, and the other group saying it could be so much more. Right. And you have to balance those Who's two. right? You know, things are going to change with or without. It, it, it just happens. I think nobody wants to be swallowed up by Nashville. Uh, and it, it kind of gets that way, and a town loses its identity a little. So, I mean, everyone can relate to that. Um, how does Hendersonville or Gallatin or other places keep their Gallatinism or their Hendersonvilleism? You know? Yeah, it, it's tough, and it goes into your elected officials because how I base my votes are not necessarily what the current development is that's being proposed as much as how does that current development fit in with what I want the future to be. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is if we want to have thousands of cookie-cutter subdivisions on micro lots, then approve what's coming through because that's primarily what it is. Really, But if we want to have some character to our neighborhoods where this one's different from the next, mm-hmm. then we need to be a little bit more picky. A more and, thoughtful and if about we're being it. honest, we're really not doing that mm-hmm. uh, at the current time. Well, it's hard to say no. I mean, it's just an unusual time. And, and that, that's the great part about growth. Uh, there's plenty to choose from. A lot of communities in this country would kill to have this kind of growth. Um, but there's huge downsides. Yeah, and here's what I'm afraid of that people are not realizing. So the state changed the law so the cities can no longer annex. So the property owner has to agree to it and bring it to us to annex. And when you have a lake to your southern border, you can't go that way. Mm -hmm. When you have the county building subdivisions on your north side, you can't go that way. We have Rivergate to our west, Gallatin to our east. There is only so much land left right. in Hendersonville. Right, yeah, that's the the most common thing I hear about Hendersonville. Where, yes. where else to build? Because, yeah. you know, so then the big R word comes in. And has that been discussed? And that's redevelopment. Um, taking some areas that, like you said, this through no fault of anybody's, this was this was sort of just a, you, you cruise down Maine and you just get 
you know, auto parts place after, yes. you know, uh, service place. And the, just that's just natural. These services needed to be fulfilled back in the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute. This isn't exactly uh, the dream drive. How do we how do we fix that? And I'm sure a lot of the businesses along there would love to, to participate in helping fix that. Yes, and that gets into where what is seen is not always what's actually happening. Years ago, um, maybe five, six years ago, there was a committee of business owners in the older part of town near Rockland Road area. Mm-hmm. And they, they said the same thing, like, it's, we need to revitalize our area. But what, what the situation is, the infrastructure over there, and, and I don't mean roads, I mean the sewer system, mm-hmm. cannot accommodate modern businesses, especially of any size. And so until that's corrected, and we have no control over that, it, you won't see redevelopment in certain areas of town because it can't uh, sustain it or hold it. Well, I guess there's no question if it's the chicken or the egg in that one because you, you have yeah. to have that first, the substructure. Yeah. Again, not fun, not exciting, hard to get past. Exactly. A lot of money. Where's the result? Well, you might not see it for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. But, uh, it, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough to pick and choose. It is. Um, but if everybody works together... And the community cares enough. Things tend to get done. I mean, not in the time frame everybody likes, but yeah, and everything comes back around because you know what? Five years ago, Indian Lake was the place to be, and in a lot of ways, it still is. And then slowly, other places lower their rent to try to attract people who may not want to pay those prices. So then, mm-hmm. Glenbrook fills up, and then the same thing happens there at other parts of town. So the market tends to correct a lot of that, and there is this balance of. How much government influence do you want to have over private businesses? You know, you can't force them to pick an area of town. Uh, you can right. incentivize, right? Uh, but then, you know, when you have the government that's completely independent from the utility district, you know, it's, it's hard to get all the pieces lined up. Well, um, we've got just a few minutes left, and uh, but I would like to, you know, why this structure? If there's if there's structural issues, uh, meaning the layout of government, how how does that get addressed, if ever? It's really complicated. Or is there just too many uh, self-interest? So one thing that I was surprised to learn, and it's one of those you should have known, is the city governments are more or less branches of the state government. And so what I mean by that is the state dictates what power we have and what influence we have, especially over things like utilities. So a perfect example is someone can call and complain about a utility district in Hendersonville, and we have zero say. It has to go through the state. We have no power to influence, intervene, or anything. Same thing with uh, rock quarries. They could be blasting all day long, but, and we you know, can't Would the state interfere. really want all those headaches from these local municipalities? I mean – it's so big. I mean, they you know are they actually literally taking calls from residents all over the state? Well, see, that's a funny thing. So they don't. They they tell them to call the local elected officials who have no anything. who have no power, and, and it's just this rotating circle of well, I can't help you. Here's the guy who can. Well, I, I don't know much about that area. Once you call your local, has guy. anybody brought that up to the state legislature? Yeah, yeah, we're we're trying to work with them, especially with the. And that's got to be queries. driving every city in the state crazy. It is upon the issue. You know, Hendersonville is unique that we have literally built a city around a rock quarry. You know, and, and we fell back on well, the state guidelines say it's okay to do that, and then 
the guidelines are so high that they'll never blast where they're illegal. So then the rock where says, well, we're legal. There's nothing wrong with us. And then you have people with home damage, you know, foundations cracking, tiles cracking, things mm-hmm. falling off the walls. But you have to be able to prove that that blast at that particular time happened. Yeah. And we have no it's power a tough to do area. anything. You know what I mean? You got six inches of topsoil and there's rock everywhere. It yeah. is not cheap to lay pipe anywhere mm-hmm. around here. Where I'm from, you know, there's just clay. You just dig and go for it, lay it in, throw some stones on top of it, and you're done. Yeah. Here, you know, I'm sitting at work, uh, and I get a, well, we're blasting, so we just check in your building. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> exactly. And I was wondering why it was thundering when it was clear out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a tough thing because you, you feel like you're the local government body. You know exactly what's happening in your city, and then you read a piece of paper in the state, code that says you have no power to help there's nothing you can do and so then you have to rely on people who are not familiar with the situation to try to make it right well and you don't want to chase your tail trying to get something done when they're not going to answer your call or do anything anyway i mean you have to move on as well there's only so much sad uh but it's especially when it's a part-time job you know you have have to work during the day go to your kids baseball game and then try to find time to change local government laws well, we're coming up to, to the end, and I just wanted to see, you know, so are you, is this going to be it for you, polit- politics uh, forever and ever, amen, or are you just going to? I don't see, see myself doing anything in the near term. Uh, you know, my kids are getting into sports, and uh, I love my business, and I love my kids a little bit more than I love politics. So mm-hmm. probably until they're off to, to college or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll stay out of politics. Yeah. Well, Daryl, we certainly appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today about uh, business and about uh, the community and about politics. And uh, it's been really interesting. And uh, thanks for taking the time. And I'm sure we'll be talking to your uh, some of your compatriots down the road as well. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Daryl Woodcock. Of, and I want to make sure I get Apex... Uh, Financial planning. I want to make sure I got that right. Apex Financial Planning and uh, also the alderman for the Fifth Ward in Hendersonville. And that is going to wrap it up for this week for Sumner County Spotlight, brought to you by FNM Bank at myfmbank.com, also at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville with a brand new street in front of it. So go on by. <laughs> They'd love to see it just pop on in. Uh, they do mortgages. That's a beautiful building, by the way. A nice big, big mortgage place, too. So Um, We appreciate their support, and we will talk to you again next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. right here on WHIN for Sumner County Spotlight.